Um, so we're in this thing uh, called uh, uh, Perfect, this series called Perfect, and it's perfect uh, from afar, but far from perfect, because that's the truth about all of our lives, our lives, we, um, we kind of try to project our life to be better than it actually is, especially in the, in the era of social media, but the reality is we all look in the mirror, we all know life, our life is not perfect, and it could be, get better, and so we want to look at what Scripture says about that, and what Scripture says is quit trying to pretend you're perfect and start getting and the word for scripture, for perfect in Scripture is holy. And it's different than what we call perfection. Perfection is to make other people think better of us. Holiness is to become more like Jesus. So don't pretend you're getting better. Get better. <laughs> and so that's kind of what this series is about. So you guys ready to learn? No, no, that's not good enough because this is, I got a lot of information. I'm going to, I may talk fast. So are you ready to learn? Okay, good. <laughs> All right, good. So here we go. Uh, if you have a Bible, take it out. If not, put a phone app out uh, of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, put one on there. You never know when you're going to need it. So um, it's found in 1 Peter 1, uh, 15 and surrounding passages. So we've talked about this passage a few times. We talked about it last week. And so I thought in this context of holiness that we should go through kind of Peter's thought process that surrounds this passage. So in verse 15, he said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Now this sounds overwhelming. Holy, I just can't make it through lunch. How many to be holy, right? So let's look at what Peter has in mind that is this process of holiness. Now, let me give you some information about Peter. You know Peter, right? Guy who tried to walk in the water and almost drowned. We make fun of him for that. But how many steps on the water have you taken? None. So get over it. So uh, Peter was kind of crazy. He was kind of all over the map. He was kind of this, that, and the other thing. But after the resurrection, Peter, who was this waffle house of decisions all over the place, um, he actually became what Jesus called him, the rock. And he became the leader of the early church. Now, he's not as prolific as Paul, didn't write as many letters and books that we read today, but he was the leader of the early church. And this particular letter in 1 Peter was written to those in, in northern Asia Minor. Paul also operated in that region, but more south and, and I think west, if I remember right. Um, and so it's written to, and the reason that's important is, you don't know where Asia Minor is anyway, but you might, but it's the people he's writing to are former pagans. By pagans, it's not an insult. It's people who worship a number of different gods versus other books that were written to former Jews who had become Christians. These people had been uh, uh, people who worshipped all kinds of different gods or whatever and had become Christians. It's important. We'll, we'll talk about why that's important in a moment. And it's written to these people, and the attitude of it from Peter is not a rebuke, not a correction of error, but as a way to encourage them. It's a pastoral letter. It's, it's hey, you guys, here's some things I think are going to help you. Because what he probably knew was that they were either in persecution or going to be in persecution. And life is going to get tough. Life gets tough for all of us. Most of us don't get persecuted by the Roman army, but we have all kinds of issues, whether it's conflict or illness. or And so he's saying, even in tough times, you can still, and here's kind of a, a key phrase to remember, and it's the Christian way, like the Christian way of life, the, the Christian journey. That's kind of the image. Here's how you make this journey. Because holiness isn't something that just happens to you in terms of your behavior. Immediately, it is a journey. And so he is giving them hints, encouraging, uplifting. So he's not demanding like a rebuke, like, get holy, you guys are screwed. No, it's about here is how you make this journey. Okay? And so that's kind of the attitude he's in. So let's start with 1 Peter 1.13. And here's what it says. So, so 15 talks about holiness, be holy, uh, just because God is holy. 
to lead up to that, here's some things that you can do to kind of get ready for that message and for that activity. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope in the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed it is coming. So right off the bat, it's about your mindset. It's about your mindset. Is you need you need to be alert and so so there is an interesting thing here. Those same words, the original language, could be used for somebody who's drunk and not thinking clearly, but that's not the only place. We also could be not thinking clearly, fuzzy in our thinking about what's important in the world, about what philosophy is determining uh, the direction of our life. Money and everything. He, he's saying there are some things in life, especially if you're facing some difficulty in the future, which all of us are, right? At some point. There are some things in life you need to be sober about. You need to think clearly about. You need to be serious. You need to get serious about some things in your life. Because what he knows is if persecution comes, they haven't taken their faith serious, they haven't grown in their character, and they're not more like Jesus, that persecution, that crisis is going to eat their lunch. It's going to rock them. They need to get solid, serious about their faith. So uh, my friend, uh, Apostle Alex Matala in Africa, who I just did a video conference with some of the pastors there this week. It was a lot of fun. And um, he, he always, almost always does the same thing. When he introduces me to a, a room full of pastors or an auditorium full of uh, pastors, he, he turns to me in front of them as he's introducing me to speak. And he goes, Pastor Doe. Doe evidently isn't a word in Africa, in Lugandan. Pastor Doe, he says. And he says, and then he says, these are serious people. And the first time he said it, I thought, oh, no jokes. I mean, but that's not true of, of, of Ugandans. They love, they're fun. They have a great time. So I knew that wasn't it. But it is in his vocabulary, in his understanding of, of Scripture, the, there is no higher compliment he could pay someone than to say they're serious, meaning they're serious about their faith. They're serious about those things that one needs to be serious about. Doesn't mean you don't have fun. Mean you're serious. Here is what Peter is saying: is be serious about your faith, because it's the thing that will carry you through whatever it is you're going to face. Be serious about your faith, and then it's then he says, and the reason you can kind of make it through this next thing is you're serious about your faith and the hope that comes from God's grace. So, so here would be my question to you: How good has God been to you? By the way, one of the things we need to rehearse on a daily basis is how good has God been to me. I have to be honest, I, everything good in my life is a gift from God. I don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve a relationship with God, certainly. <laughs> I don't deserve the wife I have, the kids I have, the job I have. I don't deserve it. I don't feel, I, you know me, I don't feel bad about myself. I just know the truth, right? The truth is I don't deserve any of this. God has been good to me. God's grace, God's unmerited favor. God has done things for me I didn't deserve and I can't pay back. And so here is what Peter is saying. When Christ returns, that, that God's favor he's given to you is just a taste of all the things that God is going to do in your life. Therefore, you can trust him through the hard times. If you're serious about your faith, you can trust God in the hard times because just the little taste you have of God's grace is going to be multiplied incredibly one day so you can make it. Keep that in mind. That'll keep you moving forward. And then in verse 14, in the next verse, he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, this as obedient children is not just uh, children who obey. obey. It's, it's a, a Semitic phrase, obedient children. And it talks about not only their action, but their nature, their action and their inclination. So what, we are to be as obedient children. So here is what uh, one might be tempted to think is an obedient child. Honey, you got to go clean your room. Fine. And you hear them throwing stuff and talking under their... 
Now, that is an obedient child in their action, but that is not an obedient child in their inclination, right? They're doing the right stuff, but not for the right reasons with the right attitude. Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with God? See, that's the problem with defining holiness as a, keeping a set of rules, because we can do them. Fine, I won't go to that place. Fine, I won't do that. Fine, but we're kind of stomping our... So this obedient children is not just doing the right thing, but having the right nature. In other words, not only do, am I doing the right things, I want to do the right things because I trust God, because I trust my heavenly Father. This is a, the powerful thing we need to understand. We need to understand that we are to be obedient children. What is, what is required to be an obedient child? Well, it requires a change of our nature because <laughs> we don't always want to do what God wants us to do. We want to harbor a little bitterness. We want to feel a little sorry for ourselves. We want to blame our condition on the world around us and not own <laughs> our decisions, right? We want to be that child stomping our feet and muttering under our breath and throwing things. And yet, what God wants to do is for us to trust him so much that we not only do what he indicates we should do, but that we know it's best. Even if we can't figure out the short-term implications of it, we know that it's best. Just as a child trusts the father. Yeah, Dad, I, I made a bad decision. And you're right, it was a bad decision. I shouldn't have done that. Well, that's an obedient nature being expressed about something that was disobedient, right? So that's one thing. How do we get to that place? It has to do with humility, humbling ourselves. So, and I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't, I don't stand up here and judge people. I'm a, as big a mess as anybody in the room, okay? So let's be honest about that. But I see people, and every once in a while I know the backstory, and I see people, and I can tell that when I'm talking, they are going, and I can see there's an internal battle going on. And it has to do not just what am I going to do with this situation, but am I going to be obedient to God? Am I going to trust his ways more than my inclinations, my natural inclinations? And I see that battle. Sometimes it has to do with breaking up with a spouse when they have no biblical reason to do so. Sometimes I see that it has to do with some life self-destructive habit like alcoholism. And I can see him sitting there going, and I can see the Holy Spirit is at work in their brain and their, their own kind of nature is going, right? Obedient children is to trust that if God is holy, which is what we established last week, God is perfect. He's perfect in his love for me. He never messes up. He never tells me to do something that is bad for me or the kingdom. If, I can, if God is that God, can I trust, entrust my behavior and my will to him? That's the battle. So uh, let's, go, let's go back to that verse again uh, in, in verse 14. Uh, but, uh, as obedient children, that is, that is not a thing I do. That is who I'm becoming. Um, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. There's a couple things. Do not conform. Conformity in this word is a passive word. It's not an active word. It is passive. In other words, I, so my granddaughter informed me this morning that when she comes over to the house, we watch them on Sunday nights, uh, my granddaughter, that we are, uh, she is going to be making um, some treats in her magic mixer. Now, if you don't know what a magic mixer is, it's truly magic. Um, it is a, just a, a slight bit more evil than the, um, the, what's the old bake ovens with the light bulb? Yeah, what is it? 
Easy bake oven. It's slightly more evil than that because that at least heats up a little bit. This one, she mixes it up, and oftentimes her hands are involved along with the mixer because it's, and then it gets poured into a mold and put in the refrigerator. I would feel better if it was baked. I'm not going to lie because I know where her hands have been. And then at some point later, this gelatinous glob solidifies in the shape of whatever mold she's poured it into, and it is delicious. <laughs> and of course, Papa has to be the first to test it, which is just marvelous. So excited. Um, but the picture here is that our lives are this gelatinous mess that gets formed or shaped by something. In this case, he said, don't let it get shaped. Don't, don't just passively let your life get shaped by your desires. It says evil desires. None of us have evil desires, right? Unless you're driving the freeway and get cut off. And then you have an evil desire because you want to inform them about their driving in the strongest way possible, right? Which is not Christ-honoring usually, right? There's another passage about this. It's Romans 12, too, a very familiar passage. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, this section, this paragraph we're talking about right now is about your mind, getting your mind set on holiness, not the patterns of the world. This particular passage says you can either conform to the patterns of the world, which is current thinking, whatever kind of silliness and philosophy that's around you that you think will make you happy. In this, it's about your urges. Don't just passively become what your urges tell you. Don't let your urges shape you because your urges are not true. They're not real. They're not objective, right? Now think about this. So, so and I've used this phrase before. I just, I love it because it's so absurd. Well, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. I just read about a famous person this week who's been married six times. That heart wanted a lot <laughs> over the years. And the, the bottom line of the paragraph was, and, and now I'm looking for love. Well, guess what? You've either been shopping in the wrong place, or you have a wrong definition of love, or, more accurately, you're following your urges and not true love. The heart wants what the heart wants. Well, so what? Is that going to shape you? My stomach wants ice cream at every meal all the time. <laughs> do I always say yes? Well, I kind of do, but I shouldn't. <laughs> so... We can either be shaped and molded by um, our urges or we can be shaped by something else, which is this call to holiness, this road to becoming like Jesus. And so Peter is saying the road to becoming like Jesus, to being holy, will, is much more fulfilling. It, it's much greater than just following your urges. Um, so as long as I'm on this, let's just uh, go ahead and meddle a little bit here, all right? So in that it says, as obedient children, don't be, don't be molded by, don't conform passively to whatever your urges, okay? Uh, so there's a couple of things that, that we uh, struggle with. Uh, one is that if, if you do sign up for this road to holiness, you're going to realize pretty quickly it's a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle against philosophy around you. They tell you how you should live your life. Um, you know, if it feels good, do it which is almost always not true, if it feels good, do it, you, you know, including ice cream, and, you, know, kind of, you know, just be careful with that one, but that's a philosophy. If you sign up to become holy, then you've got to sign up to say, so here's what holiness means. Holy means separate. 
It means different than the rest of the world is following their urges or popular fashionable philosophies. It is to be separate from that, to think differently, to have different priorities and be on a different journey. That's what holiness is, okay? And as we're on this journey, we will find that there are battles. They're called temptations. I'm tempted to harbor bitterness. Uh, I'm tempted to feel sorry for myself. Uh, I'm tempted to blame others for my stupidity. I, I am tempted all the time. And sometimes we talk about this, well, I, I, well, temptation just overcame me, which is a subtle way of saying it wasn't my fault. It's as if temptation, it, temptation it, back in the day, there's a guy who said, the devil made me do it. It's not true. You made a bad decision. I am on this journey to become like Jesus, but I make bad decisions. And if I blame him on temptation or something, I, it's me. I chose to be disobedient in that moment. What do we teach our kids? You know better than that, right? You know better than that. As I've signed up for this journey to follow Jesus, I know better. I know better than to let bitterness get a root in my life. I know better than to look at pornography. I know better than to, to, to get drunk on alcohol. Any number of things that are self-destructive. I know better. If I choose to do those, I need to own that I chose that. And here's what's wonderful, our relationship with Christ. He goes, oh, you chose that? Then he doesn't do that at all. What he says is, okay, you own that? That's what we want our kids, right? I, I have a cousin, famous story in my family. Wet his pants, or wet her pants, actually. She was being potty trained, wet her pants. I said, what happened? And she said, Greggy did it. <laughs> really? Sometimes with God, we're crying. We want our kids to own it. No, honey, you made a bad decision, right? You knew better than did, right? You made, so let's make a better decision next time. God says to us, yeah, I'm glad you owned that. You made a bad decision. Would you let me help you make a better decision next time? That's a part of owning. It's not so God can condemn us. It's so he can move us along that journey and grow us. And so we want to be obedient children, humble before God. We trust that his way is right. We acknowledge when we make bad decisions, and we ask for his help to move us forward. Now, how do we do that? So verse 15. We're back to verse 15 again. Verse 15, the one we start with, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Now, most of us, especially the task-oriented among us, go, oh, I, I, got, I, I got too much to do. And on top of that, try to be holy. And so we, we kind of take this down to the point where I got to keep the rules. I got to do that. I gotta. You're missing the most important thing of this thing. You're missing the first few words. But just as he who called you is holy. That's a critical issue that he called you. So this week I was invited, Autumn invited me uh, to speak to young moms and so great, nice, nice group. And they survived my talk and that was good. Um, at least most of them did. And I said to them, I'm, I'm here because I'm an expert on motherhood. And uh, I said, well, here's the only thing I can come up with is, is I think being a mom is like being a pastor. Uh, your congregation is smaller, but a lot harder to minister to. Um, and so uh, I shared with them some things that Connie puts in my ear when I'm kind of getting a little off track or whatever it is. Um, one was, uh, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? If it was easy, everybody would be a pastor. If it was easy, everybody would raise great children. But they're not. It's hard. The hardest thing you may ever do. But the, but the encouragement is this. My wife always reminds me of this because there's rarely a weekend that I come to church going, I got this. I'm on it, man. I deserve to be here. <laughs> it's more likely every weekend I go, I am so unqualified. Why am I the guy that's going to stand up front? I don't have this figured out. I don't have all together. Matter of fact, I've had a lousy week. I've been mad most of the week. <laughs> I, is that too honest? You okay? You all right? <laughs> And then I am reminded of this. I usually have to spend some time in prayer and ask forgiveness of God and everybody else usually. But 
And then I remember this. Yes, I'm not qualified. And yes, I don't have it all together. And yet, God called me. And I said to those moms, God called you. Next to a relationship with him and loving your spouse, that is your highest calling in life. And you may not be qualified. You may not be ready to be a great mom, but God called you. Now, if God is perfect and holy, as we discussed earlier, would a perfect God call you to something he's not going to help you achieve? Would a perfect God set you up for failure? No. So before we get all fired up about what holy is and how we're going to figure that out, let's remember that we are called to be holy. Therefore, God will not only uh, equip us, but empower us on that journey. And so it's not all on us. It's him and us together becoming holy. You are called. And the next time you start to doubt yourself, you start to beat yourself up, Christ didn't come to bring condemnation. He brought conviction. Conviction is different. Conviction is specific with a direction you need to move to deal with it. Condemnation is, oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm never going to get better. That's not what the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit is about conviction. So the next time you're convicted, don't move into condemnation. Remember you were called and move beyond that thing with God's help. That's good preaching right there. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but that's good stuff. So, by the way, I didn't share that with the other services. That was just for you guys. All right. Verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Um, and again, God's holiness is the basis for our trust in him. Verse 17, uh, uh, since you call on a father who judges each person's work. Now remember, we just talked about being obedient children. Now since you call on a father, but here's where it trips us up. We love to think about God as father. God our father, unless you had a bad father on earth and then it's hard to get through that. But um, we love to talk about God as Father, but here's what's weird. The very next phrase is, since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially. Wait a minute, I thought he was Father. Now you're saying he's judge? He's both. And, so, and by the way, I, you've met my dad, but you met him when he was older. When he was younger, he was much bigger. Not taller, just a bigger person, like Doyle. You know, see, he had, when he was younger, he had the voice of God, literally the voice of God. And, and so when he would call my name in that way, in, in, in that certain way, it was like the voice of God calling you, you know, to the principal's office. Doyle. Because <laughs> I knew I was about to stand before the judge. And he was going to decide whether it was me or my brother that was to blame for what we had just broken. And that there would not only be a, a, a verdict rendered, uh, there would be a sentencing. And I knew that was going to happen. I didn't like it, but I knew it because he was my father. And in that moment, he was judge. And I want to suggest to you that if God is all loving, sometimes he has to correct us. Because a loving father doesn't just clap at everything we do. When your little kid runs out into a busy street, you don't applaud them. You grab them. I would suggest you swat their bottom. My wife doesn't believe in spanking, so give them a timeout. But... <laughs> What we need to remember and what, it, what we're being reminded of in this moment is, is that God, so, so we like to think about God as Father. God, oh, he's my friend. And I, I, just, I just love the warm, fuzzy God. And, when the, and then when we hear about this justice of God or this correction of God, oh, well, that's not the kind of God I want. Well, that's the kind of God you need. We all need correction. We all need direction. We need to remember that God is both Father and there is a, not only a love side, but a justice side that we have to. So probably a, 
one of the things that we as Americans, Westerners need to do is we need to raise our respect for God. It's become a little too cozy, cozy. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go off the deep end. My wife told me not to say this next section. She's not even in here right now, so we're good. And you're not going to tell her. I believe, especially boys, ought to be raised with a little bit of fear of dad. It's called reverence. A little reverent fear. I, when my dad called me, there was a little in me that went, oh, oh. My mom did the same thing. She couldn't hit hard enough. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> If you doubt that, look at the percentages of men in jail who never had a father. There isn't a reverence there. There's not a, there's not a reverence kind of thing. There ought to be a little reverence with God. This is Almighty God. You start playing games with Almighty God, He will play hardball with you for your benefit, for the benefit of the kingdom. Not punitive, but He will get your attention. There have been many times when I just was bad at it, and all of a sudden something happened. I went, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry, God. Kind of blew that, right? And what Peter's reminding us here, don't take God lightly. The fact that you get to have a relationship is all on his side. It's all grace. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it for granted. This relationship with God is an incredible privilege and an opportunity, and it is full of all kinds of power. But don't take it lightly. And so he is saying, he's reminding us of something that we don't like to think about maybe. But when we're done on this earth, there will be a day where we stand before God, and we're either going with him or we're being sent away from him. It depends on what you believe about Jesus Christ, whether you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior or not. But beyond that, there is another thing that will happen. He's going to look at our life, and he's going to decide how much of it was for the right reason on that journey to holiness, and how much was about ego and representing ourselves as something we're not, and other reasons. And the stuff that was for the wrong reasons is going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. But the stuff that we truly did because we love God, and we're on this journey to holiness, is going to be rewarded. And the thing we all want, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the thing we all want is for our creator, our father, our heavenly father to say, you did good. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so part of what Peter is saying is take God seriously and also realize that this life is only preparation for forever. <laughs> Live this life not as if there's like, well, you only go around once, you got to grab everything you can. Wrong. You go around once, but it lasts really, really, really forever. And so you live this life in order for the rewards in that one. You don't have to get it all here and now. You can make sacrifices. You can pass up on some things in order to follow this road to holiness so that God can reward you later. It's a powerful imagery that that he's trying to get to us. Um, And it says that we are just foreigners passing through. This isn't really our home. That is our home. There will be sacrifices. There will be inconvenience. Life is never going to be all that it's supposed to be here but it's worth living this life well and following that road to holiness because we'll be rewarded there. So then in verse 18, I'm going to hustle through the rest of this because I'm, I'm going long. Um, for you know that it was not uh, with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were doing for the empty way of life that handed out your hands. Now here's what he's saying. He said, you used to be pagans, you used to do all kinds of idol worship and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. But now, and, here's, and he's going to talk about Jesus, and not only is God holy and just, but he loves you so much that he came to die for you. What an amazing God that has all that power came to die for you. And that's he's going to talk about Jesus. But I just want to point out one word in this, or one phrase. For you know. For you know. What do we know? So there's early, there early heresy in the early church that you could be a 
uh, more spiritual person because you had superior knowledge. Most false religions are based on this. I know something you don't know. You don't get it. I know something. What he is saying that we know as Christians that makes us better Christians, we know that we don't deserve to be forgiven. We know that Christ died when we didn't deserve it. We know what a sacrifice it was. That's what we know. It's not a superior knowledge. It's a humbling knowledge. He says, because you know that, because you remember that, you can be those humble, obedient children following Christ because you know how much was paid for your redemption. Redemption is a word used when they paid off a debt that somebody had been enslaved over or somehow bought a slave out of slavery and set them free. We, who are Christians, are freed men and women. That's a technical term, freed. It means somebody who was once a slave who's been paid for that's what he's saying. You know you've been paid for. You are free from the slavery of fear or slavery of your urges or whatever it is. You are free. You know that. So you live with a heart of gratitude in pursuit of knowing the one who freed you better. Does that make sense? You okay? Can I do two more minutes? Good, because I'm going to do five. So in, in verse 19, in verse 19, it talks about Jesus, but the precious blood of Christ, a land without blemish or defect. So he's saying, God loved you that much. You know that. Because of that love, you can pursue holiness with God's help. Next one, verse 20. And he was chosen before the creation. This is just reminding us that Christ coming wasn't God going, oh my gosh, I've lost control. I've got to send somebody. God knew before he even created that you're going to mess up. And he planned to redeem you all along. It was a part of the plan. It goes on, it was revealed in these last times for your sake. In other words, it should change the way you live your life. Go on, verse 21, I'm hustling through this. Through him you believe in God who has raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God, not in material goods, not in anything else. And God, verse 22, starts the beginning. Verse 22 starts the beginning of the last, the last paragraph. So this, this tells us why and how to pursue holiness. It tells us to think differently about God, to think differently about ourselves in light of that as obedient children and to think differently about others because of that. And here's what happens. When you begin to see God for who he is, just and incredibly loving, and you begin to pursue that relationship of holiness, it'll change the way you relate to other people. Here's what he says in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by, by obeying the truth, that's that whole process we're talking about, so that you have... Now he's saying something interesting. It's a contrast. The implication is you didn't used to have this. He says, so now that you have sincere love for each other, what was your love before? manipulative, self-serving. I mean, I'm, I, I know that sounds harsh, but think about it. Outside of ch- your own children, maybe. Have you ever loved anybody purely because you love them, not because you're going to get something from them? Maybe you have. It's rare. You say, now that you understand what God has done for you and you're on this journey, you have a different capacity for loving. You don't need to get something. You don't need to use them. You have so much love. You can just love period. And you can love in a deeper way. He goes on. He says, uh, by the way, too, so you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. He's saying you have a different capacity when you commit to this road to holiness. Then it goes on in verse 23, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That word, word of God isn't reference to the written word of God. It is a reference to the gospel of what Christ has done for you and the understanding of that, which is written, but it is about knowing what Christ did for you. And then in verse 24, for, um, for all people are like grass. This is so encouraging. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Well, praise God. Um, <laughs> I, some of you won't get this, but recently I saw on television the Fonz. Right? He's old. 
I'm glad I didn't get old. He's old. Have you ever turned on the oldies station and it was music that, was, that came out after you got out of high school? Well, that's not oldies. Those aren't, that was just the 80s. <laughs> right? The oldies are the 40s and 50s, right? It's harp music. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, have you ever, and this is a guilty thing, I, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever clicked on the one on the internet and said, where are they now? And looked and went, oh, feeling pretty good about myself. Here's the point that Peter is making. We all get old, and we do kind of shrink up like prunes. If you live long enough, you do. It's where it's headed for all of us. Ain't nobody getting out of this thing alive. But he's reminding us of that, reminding us of that, so that we will invest our life in something that matters. And it's found in verse 20. Your life is going to end. It's going to end. And whatever you built will probably fall down. And whatever you invested in probably won't last. Your kids will waste it. So I just want to encourage you. So in verse 25, in verse 25, but he says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. In other words, invest your life, your energies, your intentions and aspirations in something that will live longer than you, longer than your life on this earth. What does that mean? What are you going to do forever? You're going to know God, so start knowing him now. I believe in eternity you're going to have that good purpose that God created you for that we talked about last week will continue into eternity. Figure out what it is. Start working on it. What else will last? The love you invest in others who are going to be with you for eternity in heaven bank accounts, it's fine, whatever, cars, whatever, but the things that will last. And here is Peter saying to a group of people who are going to face crisis and difficulty, remember what to invest in. If they take your house away, remember what you're investing in. If they take your very life away, remember what you're investing in. And if you'll always remember what you're investing in and you stay on that road toward holiness, whatever happens around you, it'll get dealt with. It'll be okay. God will help you and your life will matter and it will count, and you'll take it with you into eternity. That's what it means to become holy. Not about keeping the rules. So here's my final thought. What happened to Peter and the disciples? Peter was Mr. all over the map. The disciples were so confused. They thought they were going to build a geopolitical kingdom. But when they truly understood what Christ's mission was after the resurrection, and that the journey was to be more like Jesus, when they understood that, they changed the entire world. They turn the world upside down. I don't know about you, but I watch the news. I look at the world around me. There's some change needed. And standing on the outside, pointing my crooked little bony finger at somebody's face, saying, you better change, isn't going to do it. But as I become more like Jesus, I have the opportunity. I have the opportunity to not only exemplify and model what life could look like, but then as I love him, I learn to love others. And love, his love, not just love, 60s peace, power love, but real love, his love, is what will change the world. But it comes through those of us who are on that journey to holiness, where he's helping us, he's guiding us, he's empowering us. We fall down a lot, but we get back up. That is what changes the world. That is what changes your marriage, your family, your neighborhood, our world. And that's what we're called to. And that's what I want us to commit to. So let's pray. Lord God, today I am on that road, but haltingly sometimes, two steps forward and one step back, couple of steps and I fall down. I'm so glad you're patient. I'm so glad that you didn't call me to something that you won't help me live out. And this journey to holiness, this journey to being like Jesus, what an incredible way to think about my life. 
Help me to think about it that way every day. Help me to think about it that, t- that way some, when somebody disappoints me or someone offends me or I am tempted to give in to some urge that is not right. Help me to remember that you have called me to something and you are leading me there. Help us be the kind of people who on that journey to holiness take others with us and make a difference in our world. That's what we aspire to. Lord God, we invite you to guide us, lead us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.